0: that's really why I wanted to talk to you is because I think that you have a whole we could go back to I don't we'll decide however far back you want to go but you have a lot of stories and a lot of examples of grit and I think really I think your grandkids and your family could benefit from hearing some of that I'm Lauren Sterling, and this is Ordinary Grit, the podcast where I talk to ordinary people who have overcome and are doing amazing things, because your story has power. Oh man, is this one a treat. This man is a patriarch in our church and a father figure to so many. To me, he's Scott's dad, and this is just a window into history, into learning from mistakes, fighting for a marriage, being steadfast in your faith even when the storm is howling. I hope this one is an encouragement to young people to learn from what he learned the hard way. But I also hope it's exhorting to some older generations to fight through some of those insecurities and lies that come that say that your day to be pivotal and used are over. The time for God to use us is now, right where we are, and he will do it. Please welcome Bruce Sterling. How do I introduce you? You are... So many things to so many people. Our church calls you the Pope. You're the, you know, Mr. Wisdom and uh, know a lot of things about Revelation and really scripture in general. You're a husband of how many years?
1: 53. More than that. oh was 68 when we got married. It was 68. Scott was born in 69.
0: Right. And he was would have been 54 in August. Yeah, so whatever. So you've been married 55 years. Yeah, there
1: you go. Man, time flies when you're having fun.
0: <laughs> yes. Hey, with that right there, it, it, we could just talk about 55 years of marriage, and that's gritty. That's, that requires grit. Yeah. She, especially, to be married to you, has a lot of grit. So. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> yes. So so husband of 55 years, four kids, lots of grandkids. Do you know how many grandkids?
1: Well, last time I heard, I was 19.
0: Yeah, so... Lots and
1: And grandchildren,
0: great grandkids,
1: yeah, one,
0: one great grandkid is is here. Well, he's in Peru, and you've got great grandkids on the way.
1: Yeah, so, I think the, I think the factories are starting to come up.
0: It's crazy.
1: Yeah, we'll have it's crazy. several. It, that's the potential you have with that many grandkids. Oh
0: yeah, I know lots of babies, lots and lots of babies yeah, all at once. Yeah, yeah, no, that'll be fun. Lots of yeah, lots of cousins growing up together. So. So I remember, I don't know who I told this to, I think I said this to Chad when he was interviewing me about my, my story about dating and like learning of Scott Sterling, but for me, I don't know if it's just the timing and I was in college, but I remember never knowing any Sterlings existed, and then all of a sudden, I heard about Scott Sterling and Bruce Sterling all the time, and I think I was in college, and, and it just all of a sudden, your name's we're were all over, and part of it is we were, my home church back in Blue Springs was, you guys were connected there, and I think Scott was actually teaching a Bible study that my brother was in at my parents' house, so that was kind of beginning some, you know, murmuring and my mom and him bantering and things, so I, I started, all of a sudden I started hearing your names, and so for me it was, I didn't grow up around you guys, Scott was enough older than me that, you know, I was... I was a baby when you guys were, were moving to Blue Springs the last time. So, you tell me, you know, how far back we want to go, because I think you've got great story.
1: You can take it wherever you want to go. Right?
0: Let's start with, like, okay, you grew up up north somewhere.
1: Yeah, I was, at, I was on a farm in South Dakota. Okay. And I'm uh, with an older brother and a younger sister and a younger brother, and uh, we farm 400 acres, and... And, uh, and
0: that was your family's livelihood. That was their that job. That was
1: it. That was what we did. And and it was it was not enough, really. My dad was always hard at it, but the farm wasn't big enough, and he he didn't start out with any kind of momentum. He came out of the military, and he had to do something, so he started farming.
0: Okay. So the
1: only thing he knew. And. Um,
0: but it's unpredictable. You can have bad years.
1: Yep. And we rented the property. He didn't own any of it. And so there was just a general struggle. And and Dad, well, he wanted to be good at it and in some ways was good at it. He wasn't a good businessman. I mean, he knew how to work and he knew how to get the seed in the ground and get the results. But to to take that outcome and to magnify it and multiply it, Mm -hmm. that's where it fell down.
0: And you were watching that, was there ever an expectation that you were just going to be a farmer too?
1: No, I didn't want to be. I didn't, I didn't, well there was parts of farm life that I, that I was good at and that was usually running the machinery, but there was a, it was a real dull life and I looked forward to the day when I could get off the farm okay, and go do something, whatever that something was. And so we, after we graduated from high school and started into college, dad Decided to go to college. Okay. And so, because he was, he himself recognized that it was a dead end street for him. He didn't want to do it. And uh, so, he went back and got his teaching degree. Okay. And um, all the while we were going to college. So, as soon as I graduated from college, it was around about that time, he moved off the farm and he had a teaching job in Madison, South Dakota.
0: And like high school or yeah
1: it was yeah it was high school. Okay. high school history and, and the, uh, the kids loved him. It was really an interesting because it was during that time that he had his first heart attack. He was at 45 when he had his first heart attack and um, it was during that time we got to realize how much how good he was at what he was doing because he had a personal personable way of working with kids. And and so the kids had a had a high regard for him, and yet they and so they had fun together and they enjoyed one another,
0: which made learning fun.
1: Yeah, and and yet he was a disciplinarian with them, and that combination worked well. But then after he had his heart attack, he had to in those days he had to down he had to step down he had to stop for a period of time to uh, recover from the consequence of the heart attack. So he then went. back back and got his master's degree in guidance and counseling hmm. and went on even after that to get his specialist degree so he was and his interest became from that became vocational counseling because he always felt like if if he could get the kids in the right direction for their career that really gave him gave him a leg up for success and, and meaningful life
0: was and, he a believer at yes, this time yes okay
1: Hey, he I, he became a believer somewhere in his 30s. And I don't know when that was. I, I don't remember him anything but that. Okay. Um, And a temper. It's an interesting thing that you ask the question because my one of my son-in-laws, Joe Bardwell, wants to get me to write a book. And he, he bought me an opportunity with an organization called StoryWorth, where they send you questions. And you write as long as you want to write. And when you're all done with all the questions they'll send you, and your responses are finished, they take it, they navigate through it, and they put it in a book.
0: Well, that sounds like there's so many. I'm hearing already things that I didn't really know, but it's interesting to me to watch not just the teacher but the counselor. I mean, gosh, that makes me think of Scott. That makes me think of some of his sisters that you I can, you can see
1: yeah and, and dad, some of that and dad's dad's brother was a, a, a Virgil was a very significant he was the head of clinical psychology in the state of Idaho and so there was a, a I don't know whether you call it a, a bloodline thing or a, a pro, certainly a proclivity or a, a tendency to, in that area yeah. yeah so then it became one of renting a house and and trying to Live the married life, and th- and then earn a living. I had a scholarship to play football in college, and I I dropped the scholarship at the end of my sophomore year because I said I can't do I can't raise a family and and then play football. It took yeah. up too much time. Yeah. So Scott then, was
0: born while you guys were in college.
1: Yeah, Scott came along not too by a year a little over a year, year and a half after we were married. And that was more of her want than than mine because she always wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. So that and be and besides, I was kind of uh, irresponsible in the sense I like to run. So I I was out a lot during the weeks with my buddies and leave her home alone. And that wasn't her idea of a, a good married life.
0: Yeah, probably not.
1: So having a child, she thought, would kind of fill some of that gap. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, and it wasn't long after Scott was born that, I don't know, here here comes... Well, he should have a playmate. He should have somebody to grow up with, and that's when...
0: Or to torture, they would say. Someone or to torture. The way, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, they called it
1: torturing. Yeah. But then here comes the twins. Yeah. And uh, what an experience that ended up being. Yeah. And is still today. <laughs> yes. And then, you know, then a gap lasted for a while, and then... Here comes Melissa, the youngest one. And
0: did you finish with a bachelor's? Yeah, I got Okay.
1: I got a bachelor's degree in physical education and business. And I taught high school for three years. As soon as I graduated, I, I got a teaching job in Minnesota.
0: Okay. Hated it. What about her? Did she finish? No. Okay.
1: Lynn didn't finish because well, the kids. She was for, I'm sure, yeah.
0: She I was just, always she pregnant. Remember. Yeah.
1: And uh, so we, we moved to Minnesota, and, and I, well, I taught for three years, but I quit every year. Because you just didn't love it? No, it was, well, two things. One is the, the mundaneness of it. And the second thing was, it didn't matter how good you did or how poor you did, given that you did something, you, you, your increase, your wage, your, your, your livelihood didn't was change. all hinged on what everybody else got. So you've
0: always been a little bit motivated by I want to be able to do this, control this, push this, and 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 see the the benefit, reap the benefit.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so a- after the the third year, that was it. I got into the meat. I got into meat business up in Minnesota, and I was because I had a college degree. There, an opening came in the meat plant I was working in, and then we got into purchasing in the meat company, and that took us to St- South Sioux City, Nebraska, and we lived there for a number of years, and, and um, well, the fa- in the early years of the family was growing up. But I always thought we'd end up staying there. Okay. Because that was the corporate headquarters for the... IVP was the meat company, and that was their headquarters. So that, if you're in the headquarters, you, where you go from there. Right. But that, again, was... You only got up so high unless you started moving. The only way that you could really, unless you were exceptional, and, and I'm not in that category, the only way you could progress in the company was move physically, okay. go take on, go back into the meat plants, go back into managing a meat plant, and then even in that chain, then you, as you got good at managing one plant, they would move you to another one. As part of your growth. And I looked at my four kids and said, I can't do that. There's no way I'm going to do that to my kids. They need a stable yeah. school environment. And we were right in those years where that's what would have happened to them.
0: They would have had to have moved a lot. Which they, I mean, Scott's perspective was that he did move some, but.
1: Well, we ended up we ended up moving down here because the people that dealt with me in my work at the meat company sought me out and said, "Would well, you consider coming down here and, and managing our company?" So I came down here and was here for a year, and then my uncles got a hold of me. Said, "How about coming up here and managing our business, which was the uh, transformer repair business up in in Minneapolis?"
0: So you went back.
1: So we went. We went to Minnesota.
0: Or yeah. Went to-
1: and we didn't stay there long because, well, two reasons. One was I remember calling my wife and said, I don't understand what I'm doing here because I'm used to blood on the floor. And what I see here is grease yeah. and oil. And I'm not only, I am not didn't have those mechanical abilities to really understand, understand it. it. Mm-hmm. So then we ended up moving back here to Kansas City and have been here ever since. That all happened in the early 80s. Yeah,
0: so okay, let's go back a little bit because there's a there's some important pieces that I do know about. I know, I mean, you had kids all in a row somewhere in there. You were able to graduate college and you were teaching. You know, Linda thought if we have kids, then maybe you'll settle down. I mean, what did that all look like marriage wise? Did that work, or did you still want to do what you wanted? Or because at some point things got difficult, they kind of blew up. Yeah, they, uh, when did that happen? Yeah, you know, that
1: happened in the mid seventies.
0: Okay. Guesses on I how was old 20,
1: the kids were. Well, I was twenty-seven. Okay. The kids were young enough that they don't—I don't know how much memory they have of it. Yeah. They were Scott may have been six or seven. Okay. The girls would have been four, five, and then Melissa was probably two or three. But it, you know, it's, it's like anything else in life. It it there comes those crossroads where you have to decide what am I doing and is it worth the effort? Why am I doing it? And I got into that that vice that people get into where I just can't do enough. The bills were always every bit of the income. Lynn didn't work because of the kids and staying home with the kids. And we wanted I wanted her to do that because I wanted to know the kids were well cared for. But I got real discontent I got really, I I actually thought that I had convinced myself that I should have never gotten married. That I, that this was just. I mean, I I kind of looked at all that responsibility and said, you know, the problem I've got in life is I got too much responsibility. And I and then I started running.
0: How'd and you do that? What did that look like?
1: I was chasing other women and and had some buddies and we again would go out and drink and 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 just tried to escape it and the unfortunate experience was that i got into an affair and my wife seemed to recognize that she was being really neglected and she was and so she got attracted to one of the friends that i was running with so when i was out having the flings in the affair he was at my house tending to your family tending to my family and and uh, so the, the catastrophic event happened in 1975 when my wife said, you need to leave. And that's kind of like when the, the blinders come off your eyes and you say, oh, what did I do? And because I, I then realized the, th- the things I really deeply wanted, I just lost. And so I went through the nine-month period of living alone, and right in the heart of that, my dad died. My dad had become my best friend from a, I mean, it was a, he, his counseling experience was tremendously useful when you'd go sit and talk with him. Because he, he knew how to put on his counseling hat and, and to sit there. A good counselor typically can ask good questions.
0: So I was ask if he asked
1: good questions? Oh, yeah, and he'd just draw you out. Yep. And you, when you got all done talking to him, he said, man, I couldn't ask for somebody better to talk to. And he probably didn't say 15 words, but he knew the question that would trigger it. Yeah. So I was now alone. I was living in an apartment in, or a storeroom, actually, in, up in Laverne, Minnesota at that time. And it was, the storeroom was a 20 by 20 room with no heat. A light bulb up in the center of the room and a sink that's all, and a little single spring bed and said so this is where life took me
0: so the flings and the alcohol
1: all went away because the lord then became very important to me because i was alone and i saw that of my own doing where i was going and i said i that's what i said to the lord you know if if you don't get a hold of this this is going to be a dead end and and i met some really great Christian friends in Laverne, Minnesota, and got really involved with them in the church up there. And, and they were very instrumental in keeping me straight. And uh,
0: Different way for God to provide, you know? You, he didn't provide heat, but he gave you people.
1: And, and an old man named Henry Langhout, who was the manager of the building I was in, he's the one that cleaned out the storeroom so I could stay there cost me $20 a month. And uh, I, I, I look at it, and it's kind of like I was listening to a, a video the other day of a, a German, a, a, actually a Jewish, Holocaust survivor who was a young kid at the time of the war. And he went back to visit where they were when the Germans were trying to get him. And while he was standing, he says, I hate to be here. I hate this. But I'm glad I came. And that's really what that experience was like. As much nine. as I hated the cold nights where you couldn't get heat, in the, and winters in Minnesota are, are much more significant. Or brutal, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but Han- Henry would invite me up every Sunday morning to come up to his room for breakfast. And I think it was Henry's way of making sure I went to church. It, you know, I, I was going to go, but it was Henry's way of kind of, just getting me started on the day right. And, and Henry was a just a, an old-timer that lost his wife many years before and a uh, very significant player in yeah, my
0: life. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: And uh, anyway, so as the Lord does sometimes, he healed the relationship with my wife and having really nothing to do with what I did and, and not very much... Anything to do with what she did. Right. What it really was is we both, she accepted Christ during that time.
0: Totally separately? Separately. You weren't talking about this? No, you weren't she, seeing each other?
1: She saw. Yeah, only saw me every now and again because I'd come and get the kids. Mm-hmm. And when I'd come and get the kids, she saw over time how I had changed. And, and it was nothing that I did. It was just the, the way the Lord was working on me. Yeah. But it's,
0: Unarguable. When you watch that in someone who was living so differently,
1: yeah, and, she so, she yeah. she just saw that there was a sincerity and a peace in me that Genzine and and to her credit, she just said, "I could not stand the thought of my kids living without a dad." That she'd lost her dad when he, she was young, right, to a farm accident. So her well, her determination was. If I was willing to try it again, she was willing. And that wasn't easy.
0: I mean, well, and the story I, I had always heard is you were going to sign the papers. No? You were on your way. She was
1: on the way to sign the papers.
0: When she said she would try.
1: Yeah, it was the night before she was going to go. Well, actually, it was the, the night before. I had the kids in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It was 30 miles from where we lived. I'd taken them to the park. And my mom came up, and we were there at the park, and Linda knew where we were, and she came over there. And she asked Mom if, or I asked Mom if she could watch the kids, and I went and talked to Lynn, and she said, I don't know what's happening to you, I, I but I see a change. And I think it's real because I've been watching for a while. Yeah. So if... She asked me to explain what happened, why I've changed. So I told her how the Lord got a hold of my life, and, and she said, I want that. And so she, we then departed because she had to drive back, and we were still living apart. And uh, on her way back home, she said, to the Lord's much the same as me. I I don't like the way it's turned out, and I need help. Yeah. And so it was in that, in that environment that, we started over. Yeah. Many times she didn't want to be there. Yeah. And many times I didn't want to keep trying. Sure. Because of the 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 bruises that came from both those extramarital effects, but
0: a lot to a lot to forgive and a lot to try to set aside and not hold against yeah. each other and.
1: The thing about it was that that was unique about it is it, we never felt that same felt that way at the same time. There were days when I just wanted to say, it. I, I really can't do it. And there were days that she felt the same way, but it was always on a different day.
0: Yeah. I called it the teeter-totter. Yeah. I always said that Scott and I had a good teeter-totter that when he was really weary or if he wanted to quit everything and run away or that we never, it, gosh, we strong personalities, passionate, loud, or, or even mean. And if we both hit the same place at the same time, it could have – have been bad but we always teeter-tottered pretty well and i think there's there you have to have some of that
1: yeah that's all part of growing up it's all part of making a 55 year relationship absolutely it's the it's the surviving the struggles
0: actually was just um getting coffee on the way here and they were like what are you doing today and said well i'm about to um do a podcast and they you know chit-chat they my, my new favorite coffee place knows me now, and so we talk about this. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be talking to, you know, my father-in-law. It's been married for, you know, 55 years and about, you know, the stories are about survival. And I, and I said, you know, surviving marriage. And then I kind of corrected myself, like, oh, that sounds bad. And she, the girl, even said, no, I mean, that, it might be really accurate. That, that there is an element of, you know, fighting for it, surviving, you know, even yourself, like like really surviving your own desires and your own I mean you you even said you you get to a place where you're just discontent or and so there is some real grit in in not quitting in forgiveness requires a lot of grit forgiving yourself forgiving her her forgiving you so I thought it was funny to say because I did it sounds mean like I don't I never want to paint marriage in this bad picture I feel like culture does that enough that you know ball and chain and. You know, you never, there's nothing good about marriage after you get married. And, you know, I want to champion marriage, but, but so I didn't want to use that word. I didn't want to act like you survived marriage, but but there is an element of that.
1: There's a, the richness in part comes from the struggle itself because, you know, you have your desires in life. You have the, 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 you know, your aspirations, your dreams, your, those things you always imagined out there that you should have become or. Yeah. Would like to become or would like to do, and then they get checked by the fact that you have more than just you to think about, and so and, and they
0: come with a whole bag of desires and that's right thoughts and, and dreams and
1: and so you both have to find some place to make that work, mm-hmm. and and all of that give and take is, is part of what makes you who you are, mm-hmm. and um, boy, it's unfortunate if you're, you if you live your life without that because you're the richness of it well it's there's a certain amount of pain and low is me kinds of attitudes that come with it 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 makes you different it makes you better
0: okay so you get your we we, we had gotten to moving and being in kansas city so we can maybe unless you unless there's something in the middle of there we can go to you you get back together you figure out how to make it work maybe lots of times over over lots of years uh, maybe not just immediately where you wanted to wanted to quit or you know that that makes sense to me but then you end up in Kansas City did you think you would stay there or when you came the, the last time did you did you realize this is kind of where we're going to
1: yeah end? it seemed like that because what was now important when we moved back to Kansas City from Minnesota is the kids were now entering their junior high, Mm -hmm. early high school years, and they needed to have an alma mater. In -hmm. our minds, they needed to have a place that that's where I graduated from, and that's where my friends were, and I I have all this history. And so when we got back down here, the the thought was, this is where we'll end up. And so, we well, I changed jobs two or three times down here. Yeah. we did, the thought of moving away from here wasn't going to work. Yeah. Because then significant others come into play. Yeah. The kids start finding relationships, and, you know, they... You know, so saw you came into the game at one point. A little
0: later, but
1: yeah. Yeah, we came in later, but... Yeah. I mean... It,
0: no, they started getting married. They started having their kids, and... Yeah. Um, yeah, so then you build this, you know, kind of a culture where... You guys were were kind of known for your Sunday lunches, and people, you, you were, in my family too, my family just wasn't as big, but they all get together, we eat, you're loud, you fight, you get past it, you, you know, and that was one of the things when I started spending more time with Scott, is I was like, well, this is a family that really is a lot like mine, you know, and, and I think that's important too, is there, there to be some, you know, similarities. So, I, I think you guys were kind of famous for... Big lunches and getting together and being involved in each other's lives, good, bad, or ugly. Um, you know, given given opinions about what people are doing, and so mm-hmm. I mean, we could we could talk about all kinds of just different pieces of things you've had to walk with your kids. I mean, you had you had two go through a divorce really real close to the same time. Yeah, you know, and walk some really hard things with, and, and their kids were involved, and so. That that could take all day, but what would you say? How, what what's the battle, or how how do you win the battle of the discontentment? Because would you say that that continues? That that is a a battle for you that you get in seasons where you're whether it's bored or because I do this, and so maybe maybe we're we're not this much alike, but. Where, where I, I'm like, my brain is bored. I need to do something else. And I could get in a lull again of not happy or I'm, I'm bored. And how, how do you keep yourself out of a rut?
1: Well, you know, it, it's um, as I went through my career, I always had this, I think like my dad. Well, I could do what I was doing. And I had success at what I was doing in the meat business, selling meat equipment. I traveled a lot. I was gone a lot in the years when I came back from Minnesota. I ended up getting jobs where I was all over the world. And so I spent, well, I spent 10 days in the Soviet Union back when it was still a Soviet Union. And I can remember being on the tundra out there in the remotest parts of the Soviet Union and thinking, I can't imagine what a boy in South Dakota is doing in the Soviet Union because in those days they were a very significant threat. And I was out there standing in 20 below zero weather doing the kinds of trying to generate relationships that would cause us to be able to sell machinery and and meat plants into the Soviet Union. Working with Americans who were had a part to play in this, the Russians themselves, and then the Koreans, the South Koreans. There was a three-way, a pyramid kind of structure. And while that all had a, a certain intrigue to it, there was an emptiness in it. It just was, if I get successful at this, if I do well, it just means more of it.
0: It just means I'm gone more.
1: I hadn't gone more and, and out here in the places that I really, you slept in your clothes. I mean, you're going for about, for well, better than seven days. You don't change clothes. You just, because again, I was back in a, in, a, in a school building is where they kept us. And, and the heat in that part of the world was generated from a power plant at the end of the city. And it had to be piped up to us. And there wasn't much of it by the time time it got to you. yeah. And so you'd sit there and you'd just basically be all bundled up. And then you get up in the morning and and breakfast consisted of vodka and caviar. Okay. uh, And bread. And the Russian bread was incredible bread. The rest of it you can keep. (laughs) But I remember that they always said you could live on Russian bread. You don't have to eat anything else. It would sustain you whereas American bread wouldn't do it. Anyway, so in all of that traveling and in all of that, those, those things that you maybe label as a success, it, it still had a, an empty ring to it.
0: And it maybe answered a little bit of your, like, what's out there? Am I content by going, mm, maybe maybe contentment is found in something else. Maybe Yeah, not.
1: And, and, and it ended up being almost the flip of my father. Because what happened is, after I got done with all of that, I in the summer times would hobby with a friend of mine in the mowing business, and I'd just I, and I'd go out and mow for him for free just to get out, and it, it kind of took me back to my roots. Yeah. And so then when I decided I can't do this anymore in the meat business, I now what am I going to do? And I found out that. Fifty-two years of age, you're not all that valuable in the marketplace, because you kind of look like a, in the in the poultry business that I used to be in, I would be called a spent hen. Hmm. And you know what a spent hen
0: is? I do now because I have chickens.
1: Yeah, a spent <laughs> hen is when they can't lay any more eggs. Yeah,
0: yeah, and they're really not very old. No, by they're the not. Time that happens.
1: But yeah. but what they're good for is, yep, Campbell soup. Yep, yep. You just <laughs> put them in Campbell soup. Yep. So I, I have this this feeling of being a spent hand, being, what am I going to do with my life? Well, then I just, I had an opportunity to buy more and do some work.
0: So you started that for kind of, you know, on your own. About that time, I mean, is that Scott's already going through his divorce or? Yeah, he'd been through it. He'd been through it. Okay.
1: Yeah, he had been through it and, and he was looking for what to do. And so, anyway, for the first couple of years, I got in the mowing business not with the intention of being a businessman. I got in the mowing business as a, as a stand-in-the-gap experience, thinking until I can find something more meaningful. Yeah. Well, it ended up that as as the Lord provides ways, I got connected up by one of my son-in-laws to Quick Trip because they needed a better performance on their properties. So they asked me in an interview with them if I would be interested. And, I, and so I took on 29 plants and I was by myself at that moment.
0: 29 stores by yourself,
1: okay. But I didn't, so I went to Scott at that point and said, Scott, I, I until you find something that you wanna do, how about stepping in and helping me do what I gotta do? Mm-hmm. And that's how he and I got to work together.
0: He was mowing.
1: Yeah, he was mowing with me, and and then what you what you really discover too is who what strong suits each of each person has, and he was such a people person, and um, and the I mean he just was he was great in the in the there's a way of putting it you can you can be in the showroom or you can be in the warehouse he was good in the showroom. Yeah, he looked good. He presented himself well. He was well-liked, smart, all of which I didn't have. I mean, he I've said to him many times, Scott, you, you stole my identity because you got everything I wanted. He was taller than me, better looking, all of the things that go with it. And uh, anyway, so what we found out in that partnership together is it worked well because I concentrated in the warehouse. I kept the the operation going from the back room and he kept it going from the front room and it just was a beautiful harmony in the way we worked always in my eyes I don't know that he always felt that way but I certainly did and and I loved the privilege of working with him
0: Yeah no he loved working with you for sure and always took such pride in you know his parents and their marriage and the way that they that, that you guys did ministry for sure that He, as much as you, you know, think that he was this better version of you, he didn't always see that. And I remember when we were first being friends and we were doing ministry together, I remember... We were in a small room. This is like early, early um, student ministry days. But I have like really vivid pictures of him speaking, and he had such a hard time with this idea that he was a lawn boy that that he that he was you know mowing grass and picking up other people's trash. And I was such a high energy. I was like early twenties and like super confident. Like I wish I had some of that still. But you know, like super super confident. And I I'm like, what is why does he feel that way? I, I started calling him Eor. Because he was like, going to a party, I'm not going to have any fun. And I'm like, what is the deal with you? You know? And we became friends, and I, I started to understand a little bit, but he really didn't see himself for a long time. I feel like more so later, there was a lot less Eeyore. And, I mean, we can call that a lot of things. We can call that God doing work and, and allowing him to, to do things or really just... I don't know. I don't know if if, I, if my personality had anything to do with that, having kids had anything to do with that. But, I mean, I, he wasn't always that way. But I remember back then, I mean, it made for great sermon illustrations. He used those things about picking up people's trash and, and, and the struggle. But he really struggled, I think, with feeling like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't good enough, he didn't finish school, you know, and things like that. And, and, and instead, we, we saw so much success. So, so I don't think he he saw poorly you guys doing business at all. And eventually he was able to really see how God used those relationships. I mean, hugely. When when one of the big wigs in Quick Trip calls him and is like, Scott, I get it. I finally get this Jesus thing. I mean, that's a huge win. That is a huge, yeah. huge win that he was out there doing ministry. But it also provided him freedom to do what he loved. So because he didn't have to go from an, to an eight to five and didn't have the same expectations of when he needed to be somewhere in two weeks of vacation. Maybe instead he was able to do mission trips and meet with people throughout the week and do, do I mean, we did so much marriage counseling and so much, so many different kinds of counseling that he was able yeah. to do that allowed him to be who he felt called to be. So instead of it being the reason or, or, the reason he was who he was or, or it wasn't who he was, but it did provide him the opportunity and the freedom and flexibility to be who he was called to be. Does that make sense?
1: Yep. Yep. I don't know where I was going with it, but it. I was with that big wake yesterday. Okay. And every time I'm with him, he talks about Scott and what a tremendous impact he had on not only him, but on a number of guys in that organization just by the rub off, you know, and, uh, and the steadiness, they, they could, they just knew he was a rock solid guy and they would ask where that comes from.
0: Well, and I mean, you and your commitment and, and you, you both of you, your, your marriage and that commitment to walk that out. And even the more I hear about your dad and things that he was continuing to pursue. And I mean that it all sounds really familiar.
1: You know, I see that even in in my, you know, here I'm talking a lot about Scott and not mentioning much my daughters, but, I mean, you look at all three of those girls, there's, they've, some of them have gone through, Erin in particular has gone through a real stormy marriage environment and uh, always wonders, where is Scott that I can't seem to find the the man I should have in my life and and then you had Amy raising four kids like her mother did and Amy just been a marvelous help in the Sterling Industries part of it. She
0: works like three jobs yeah, most of the time. Yeah. She she is the kind of the hidden the hidden gem that people yeah. don't realize but she's smart and consistent and has been there for for my people and I mean would do anything for you.
1: And then you had Melissa who was yep. who was just a knockout when it comes to ministry she's she's kind of the female version of scott in some ways a very strong ministry leadership roles and and very influential i think with a lot of young ladies um yeah they've all been really they've turned out really well and,
0: well, and a lot of it is i think an example and continual reminders that ministry isn't isn't getting paid in a church. Right. You guys were doing ministry in your home. I've heard lots of stories of people coming over in the evenings and marriages, you know, showing up at the door, wanting your help, wanting your advice, your years of transparency about what you guys have been through and, and telling those stories and that ministry is not in a with a pulpit and a paycheck. It is right where you're at. And you, and you guys have lived that really well. And, and even in the storms and the hardships of, of all of your of your kids, they, God has used those hard things over and over and over.
1: Melissa asked me, I'm going to be doing a Bible study with a, with a number of the ladies. And, and the topic will be, where's God? Went, or, well, it centers on why don't I ever hear from God? God never talks to me. And that's not true at all. He talks to all of us a lot. He communicates is maybe a better word. I'm just sitting here listening and talking about this experience and looking back at it. How many times he joined in the invisible hand, so to speak, where he orchestrated the relationships over the years with numerous people. I said I've said to my kids, they all owe me because it's because of I'm here and and made the decisions I made that they hooked up with you guys. I don't get any credit for that. But, <laughs> but the point is, is God is always at work and He's always communicating. If you'll listen, if you're sensitive to it, if you, and, and the older I get, I'm seventy five now, then the older I get, the more I realize just what amazing companionship He provides. Yeah. Even in the even in the times. Where, the darkest hours, the, the times when, well, when I lost Scott, when we lost him, it was, oh, my goodness. That was absolutely not in the plan. Right. I, I had a guy say to me the other day, he was talking about, he said, I never thought life would turn out this way. And I said, there's the title of the book. <laughs> yeah. Because I never thought. It would turn out this way. And so you say, okay, so what do you do when the times get really hard, when the darkness just seems to be overwhelming, and the loneliness and the heartache? and, And what he would say to you is, just keep going. I'm here. Just stay faithful.
0: Yeah. This summer, the student camp focus was on God's voice, talking about, it was John 10, and we talked about, the shepherd's voice and what the, what the shepherd does, yeah. what he looks like, what he sounds like. And when the, our pastor and I were discussing how we were going to talk about camp, I remember telling him on the phone, Zach, this is way bigger than what our students need to hear. Our, our adults don't, don't know how to answer. How do, how do we hear his voice? How do we know? How do we decipher his voice? And that this is something that lots and lots of believers, and it's interesting, a lot of our conversations in here have become about how people hear from God. And and some of them are different, but they obviously all end up kind of going back to what Scripture says so and what, what we can know about God. So I realize you can't ruin the Bible study for, for you know this is like a what do you call it when you when you tell a the teaser. movie well yeah or or uh, what is the word where you tell the ending before it's a oh. it, you know you're ruining spoiler. a spoiler. Thank you. This is this is like a spoiler. So we can you know they don't have to listen. But what what what's the answer to that? What are you going to tell adults about, why don't I hear God's voice?
1: Well, I asked a person yesterday, because I just finished a book called Ordinary Men. And what what the story is about, a battalion of men, German policemen. They were called order police. And there was a battalion of 500 of these men who were otherwise ordinary people. They were metal workers. They were gardeners, they were restaurant; they servers, they, they did all those kinds of things. And here comes the war. And they're instructed, kill the Jews, go get, and they went and got a, a group of, I think the first wave was like 1,100 of them. And they said, take your Jew, walk with them to the field, and put a bullet in their head. And th- there's a moral of this story. And the, <laughs> I believe it. The, the some of them couldn't do it. They just said, I can't do that. I just... And their commander of all people was crying because he didn't want to give that order. But they ended up, some of them that went and did it, they came back vomiting and then became heavy drinkers because they were trying to drown out all the, 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 oh, the horribleness of taking an innocent life. But the, the reason, what on earth were the Jewish people Thinking about God in that, because th- th- you couldn't treat people more brutally than they were being treated, and so the question was: So where was he? Yeah,
0: were the chosen was people? He... This is this is the chosen people. The, you know, I can imagine the bitterness, the frustration. Oh, the
1: it it, it was incredible. Cynicism, like the, what the heck? Jam on them and rail cars. So they two thousand of them would die in the rail cars because they couldn't breathe. Yeah, crowd and the point of that is, God was there, but where? In, for many of them, you probably couldn't convince them that that was ever true.
0: But man, there was some who, when Scott was sick, I read a lot of Corey Ten Boom and some of the, some some people from that time period that were, you know, hiding scripture in their, in their clothes and dividing it out, like, you know, having to pull out Genesis and give people different pages of it yeah. and... I, funny that we're talking about this because I just got done with another book from that time period. The Tattooist of Auschwitz is just a, it's more of a love story of that time, but it always takes me back to those pictures of reading those other authors that were hanging on so tightly to what they knew to be true about God, regardless of what happened. And I think I was reading that stuff when he was sick because it helped me take the focus off of this is so bad, this is so terrible. We don't deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. It it, it helped me not... not, uh, We were not the only people in a hard thing. We we aren't made to live forever. What are we doing with the time? And so I don't know. It just helped me not pout, I think. And so for whatever reason, that has become kind of a genre of... Mm -hmm. Or a time period that I like to read about because, man, the people who did hang on tight to their faith and and talk about it and, and not choose to just... Mad at the Lord for writing a really, really terrible story for some of them, Re- really terrible losses, just brutal, mean. But instead, to to use it and to still trust Him, I don't know, taught me a lot about you know maintaining maintaining my grit and remembering that he that he is who he says he is, um, even when you don't when he doesn't do what you want, you know that it, that it wasn't a genie and I and if I pr- prayed the right thing that he had to do what I what I asked. So it was just good for me to, I don't know, to not let myself be too pitiful. I'm not saying I haven't had moments of pitiful. Please don't.
1: Still will. I have. But. I think I'm 75 and still do. So if you're getting over it already. No, I'm not over it. You've sure. gotten a better deal than I got. <laughs> it. But, it, you know, you can read, you can read Psalms 88, which is one of the darkest Psalms in the scripture. The end of Psalms 88 is darkness is my best friend. The whole Psalm is dark. And it ends with no hope darkness is my best friend why would God put that in his Bible except to tell you I'm still here and some you know the thing about life is so much of you you'll understand looking back yeah you can't see it in the midst you can't see it in the front window it's in the rear view mirror is where you see oh yeah now I get it
0: well, and it's kind of, you're able to look back at, you know, early married days or yeah. early, you're able to look back at that and, and have hindsight. But but you're also still in the middle of some things that you don't yet have that view of. So while you can see that and go, okay, I watched God's provision. I watched God's hand in things. I watched him, you know, be present with me. Then when you are later in life walking out of grief that you never imagined would be one, something you, I mean, no one, no one expects to bury their kid. I don't care how old the kid is. But then also just it, it hitting you differently than you thought. You don't yet have the full hindsight right. of that. And so while we can look back at what he has done, it helps me in the now of this is not done. This is not wrapped up in a pretty red bow, but I trust him. I don't have to have an answer right. or some perfect theological thing to stand on today, but I but I do trust him because I can look back and see where he has been faithful, where he has been, who he says. And so while I have no idea how some of this is going to get written, I have no idea what to say to my kids frequently about where they are, about their grief, about what the, their future or how unfair it is. You know, I... I do not always have, no, let me say, I rarely have the perfect words for any of those scenarios. But the place where I am able to stand with, with all my weight is that I, I do trust him. I do believe that he is present and in it. Because I've seen that, I believe it now. It has, it, it has to be true now.
1: Well, one of the, I think one of the greatest takeaways from whether it be the struggles we had in our marriage early on, the cancer that my wife got, the, the, now stage four breast cancer, and and that was right about the time Scott started to show up with cancer. And then Lynn recovering to the point of that's not a daily concern now. And then Scott having, we really believed that he was going to pull through this, that, that God was going to do, if anybody, because he had such an amazing impact on people. In such a ministry f- field, why would God would certainly keep him around? And he didn't. And then so at the and then Aaron and all of her struggles and how she stayed faithful through the hardships and then all that's gone on in the kids' lives and our family and then friendships and at the end of the day the task is to stand faithfully. Because one of the great experiences of the separation and near divorce that we had was God gave us a good memory of what worked and what didn't work, what words were good to hear and what words were not good to hear from those who cared. And so then you take that and you use it for people coming through the water behind you. The same with the loss of a child. Cancer,
0: the the loss, all of it uh, is used in the same way, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because all I can do at this juncture is try to help those coming through the water behind me because, um, I mean, that's to him be the glory. And, and the only way he gets the glory is if we do our part.
0: Yeah, we, we point we, we point back. And I think it helps me that that's what Scott was doing too. And so for me, in some ways, it's it's a, this double whammy of if, when I talk about him and I talk about What he did or what he was about or even about our our marriage or the things that were great, Uh, they were pointing to the Lord. So really, it's like this double whammy of I'm not glorifying Scott. Scott wasn't the Lord, but I get to talk about him and remember him well and like honor his life well. By pointing to Christ. That's right. And so for me it's like both because it, it is important for me to remember well and and not that it gives life, it gives his life value because his life had value because he was because Jesus made him and, and we all have that value. But it but it to say his name and to, to remember him, I feel like honors him well and I and I, I want that. I you know, you never want to think that they're forgotten, but bigger than that. More way more important than that is that it points to Christ. And that's what he was doing, too. And so for me, it feels like I'm not, I don't know, giving Scott too much credit or, or overly glorifying him. I'm Instead, I am getting to continue what he was doing, which was pointing back to Christ. And sometimes that's through his life, and sometimes that's through those memories. And so for me, it's just like bonus. I get to do both.
1: I think to a person, it seems, every one of us have had our hopes and dreams dashed. I mean... At one point in time, when I was younger, I thought maybe I'd like to be president. Well,
0: we would love that. Okay, you, can we make that happen?
1: Then you discover that I don't have what it takes. That's not true. Like, and then I would—I thought, you know, well, maybe because I had a scholarship for football, maybe I could make something of that. Well, I was only five foot eleven, and I had the weight that I needed. I was a good two and a half. I was—I could—I could be a lineman, but I didn't have the speed. So there goes that dream. And so you go through life and and those dreams tend to get dashed in part because of reality and in part because you're comparing yourself with or you're inclined to compare yourself with the people on the right or people on the left. And the sooner you learn to just keep your eyes locked straight ahead and just let God take you through your life, he'll make of it what he's going to make of it. It, it, and
0: those are way better dreams.
1: Well, I'm still waiting because Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I,
0: I, I mean, he's making more money than or, you. Well, but. it
1: didn't <laughs> even no, it isn't the money. I've I've gotten past the money, but just the, just that ability, or Travis Kelsey, or whoever, whoever. It's just that. How come people? Jordan Peterson. Some of these people are write. C.S. Lewis. These guys are write great books. Pick your field. And you find out, well, I'm not in that one.
0: There's always somebody better than us it seems at like things. It.
1: Always. Maybe our time is yet to
0: remember, come. Remember when we were sitting at we were sitting at Big Biscuit and we were talking about that I, went, I had this idea and I was going to do this and that, that waitress out of nowhere took her mask off just long enough to say, this has already been done, everybody's doing it. Put her mask back on and walked away. And I was like, well, ain't that encouraging? Thank you. But, I mean, there's always going to be somebody better than us, always going to be somebody worse than us. That was, like, my mom's great encouragement. That was, that was how my mom motivated us as kids. But, but it's true. And so you're right. It, I, I could compare myself all day long to all kinds of other people. And and nowadays, the social media and kills us on that. We can see everything else that everyone else is That's doing right. great. Yeah. But I think if you could see how people see you, it would it would encourage you. I think if you heard the way people talk about your teaching, the way that people love to hear you talk about whether it's the end times or it's scripture in general or your consistency or your encouragement or your counseling, the way you talk about your dad, there's people that say that about you. So I think you're right. We we have to keep our eyes locked on the author and perfecter, right? Like True north. Him.
1: Keep true yes. north, true north.
0: But I think there's also benefit in maybe maybe we need to do a better job of letting you hear what people are saying and letting you, you know, see your see yourself that way because you're you're not waiting for God to have purpose for you. That's no. done a lot for in 75 years. And he just does it again and again. There's just new dreams and and a new goal and a new way that he's using you. And so I don't know what exactly that is. I mean, maybe it's gonna be here, maybe maybe you're gonna write a book, but you're, it's just maybe new. this
1: time together is going to cat up all this both
0: i am sure into
1: the highlight bright lights yep And in sp- speaking engagements. let's just travel
0: that. the world together
1: you know i <laughs> i had a guy. well it was said the other day on the on television in a normal human life the bible says three score and 10 70 years our average life in america is 76 years so you take that times the weeks in a year And you come up with roughly 4,000 weeks. So count how many weeks you got left. If you hit.
0: 76 years
1: old. 76. Which is that many of them don't hit it. Many of them. Some go beyond it. But if if 76 is biblically within the realm of what it said, well, I've got about 20 weeks left. That's not a lot of weeks.
0: That's not a lot of weeks. Well, what would you do with them?
1: I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to fill those weeks up with a maximum output.
0: Well, but with great purpose. And you, you have lived with great purpose. In, in the world's eyes, it looks different. But, but in in spiritual eyes, you've lived with great purpose. And, and God has used that over and over and over. There's a great legacy. Truly
1: a great legacy. Well, thank you. It's um, That's just... Uh, Pray that it continues. It will.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you have or know someone with an inspiring story, you can apply to be a guest at OrdinaryGrit.com. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at OrdinaryGritPodcast to get to know me and my guests.